0: We do have a long way to go to get all of the people registered the voting aid. Eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. We will turn out to vote this cycle because we all understand what's at stake. Let's head to Arizona where Republicans are recounting 2 million ballots by hand. Votes are being counted in the United States. The Democrats who have held both houses of Congress
1: for the past two years are predicted to lose the House of Representatives. Republicans are confident of a red wave and no one's counting on that more than Donald Trump. I think if they win, I should get all the credit. One interesting house race to tell you about, uh, in
0: Florida's 10th district, Maxwell Frost is the projected winner here. He is the first representative of Gen Z to be elected to the United States Congress.
2: Gen Z and millennials make up a third of our country and I think we need a government that looks like the people.
1: Polls just closed and already the Associated Press declaring that Westmore is the new governor of the state of Maryland It
0: is our time, we will get this done We usually see very tight races for governor here in Florida Look at the spread here uh, tonight, 57 to 42 for Governor Ron DeSantis Florida is where woke goes to die Here it is, Fox News can project that Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman will win the Pennsylvania Senate race over Dr. Mehmet Oz.
1: I can't believe John Fetterman won.
0: And in Arizona and Nevada, the ballot counting continues, with Senate races too close to call. CBS News projects the U.S. House of Representatives is leaning toward Republican control. And it looks more likely that Republicans might just have two seats of a majority in the House of Representatives. 80,000 more votes just came
1: in, and there it is. There it is. Mark Kelly is the projected winner in the Arizona Senate race. I understand we have some breaking news uh, in Nevada right now. Look at this. The
2: Senate race in Nevada is now less than 800-vote lead for the Republican candidate Adam Lacksaw. a
1: dramatic shift. There it is. That's the check mark. Oh, wow. Catherine wow. Cortez-Masto, it... the winner of the Nevada Senate race. Democrats now have control of the United States Senate.
2: Hello and welcome to Dead Men Don't Vote. This is the post-election edition. We aim to make sense out of election administration news during... This volatile period in American history, from debunking conspiracy theories to demystifying the election process and generally explaining the why and the how of elections. I'm Royfield Brown, an American in training who speaks to election administration professionals about election administration news from around the United States. As normal, I'll be speaking to subject matter experts from OSET about pieces of news on the elections and their significance on American democracy.
1: From the Atlantic, the best way to protect elections from partisan manipulation by Larry Schwartztall. Aaron Van Langevelde was probably surprised to find himself in the middle of a battle for the future of American democracy. But at the November 23rd, 2020 meeting of the Michigan Board of State Canvassers, there he was.
2: Jenny Coulter is the Senior Director of Stakeholder Relations and Social Media at OSET. Hello, Jenny. How are you today? I'm doing well, Royfield. How are you? Not too bad. Now, there's a rather long article entitled The Best Way to Protect Elections from Partisan Manipulation, which I found on The Atlantic. I'm going to start with the last line, and it says, The prospect of committed election deniers seizing control of election administration is deeply unsettling, a little like turning over the fire department to a band of pyromaniacs. It dramatically showcases a basic vulnerability in our system. It's hard for me as a Brit an American in training, not to completely and utterly agree with that line. But what's your takeaway from this article? It's a pretty sizable article.
0: I agree that there really is no place for partisanship in election administration. However, one of the parts of American government is that people vote for their election officials. And that's just part of how our system works. Now, some are appointed, but the vast majority are elected. And The highest compliment I can give to any election official is that I don't know what their party is. They're able to transcend partisanship. I think it's a little naive to expect that there will be absolutely no partisan bias in election administration ever. The best election officials are the ones who are able to sublimate those urges.
2: One of the things I thought was really interesting was it talked about then-Governor Rick Scott in Florida, and the fact that a group of voters tried to sue him because of his apparent interference in an election in 2018. And the judge in the case said that Scott had come right up to the constitutional red line. And the question was, at what point is he trying to influence a recount because of political rhetoric? That, to me, does point out the weakness in this system of governance. And we have had states like Wisconsin try and to remove this kind of level of partisanship. Should we just take it that rhetoric is rhetoric and officials should be able just to withstand that? Or do we need to go down the Wisconsin route and actually try state by state to get professionals into administering elections?
0: This is a really difficult question, but I would like to know why the author of this particular article didn't explain the reason that Rick Scott got involved in the first place, which was there were two election supervisors that had issues with ballot design issue and extreme equipment problems, and they could not finish the recount in time,
3: mm-hmm.
0: which, was, which is, by the way, laid out in the state constitution and the governor's privilege in florida is to remove officials who have de- have exp- who are cre- who have committed dereliction of duty that needed to be in the article to make this fair and i'm not sure it necessarily was now yes i do believe that we need to get rid of the partisan rhetoric in the post election process but in florida's case in 2018 the problems that existed went far beyond partisanship And the net result after those particular election officials were removed was we wound up improving our election administration across the state because 65 election administrators were doing a great job where two were not. And now we've got all 67 that are pretty much on par doing what they need to do to get the job done.
2: Tell us about those measures that were taken actually in Florida to to help give a sense of honesty and openness to the system.
0: Now, while this move caused controversy, there's sometimes there are just so many issues in an election office that you do have to go in and clean house and put somebody else in. Even though it might not necessarily seem like the right move at the time, if you look back, you go, oh, wow, that was kind of a no brainer there are certain states that will allow the removal of officials if they're not doing their job well enough. Now, I know that that particular privilege can be abused very easily, but in 2018, I do not believe that was the case.
2: Gotcha. The article does also mention kind of gerrymandering, partisan redistricting. So I've really got the sense that this was a real thought piece about some of the vulnerabilities of the whole American system. What ultimately would be your final takeaway on this piece from the Atlantic, Jenya?
0: I think it was a very thoughtful piece, but I think it needed additional context. And as far as gerrymandering, yes, there are plenty of races you can gerrymander. However, governor and senator, you can't gerrymander. And I would argue that those are the two races that are probably the most important to the future of a state.
1: From the Pew Charitable Trusts. Voters push back against election deniers in key states by Matt Vassilagombrose. On election day, some candidates tried to use election administration errors to inject doubt into the integrity of elections.
2: To speak on this topic, I spoke to Cameron Quinn, a director of OSET. One of the things I thought was really interesting was a quote from David Becker, the executive director and founder of the Centre for Election Innovation and Research. He says, we've never had a perfect election and we never will surely that gets to the heart of the reasons why some Americans really question the whole process because they think elections should be perfect. If there's some level of imperfection, we could be having incorrect results.
4: David Becker and I don't always agree on things, but I totally agree with him that human error is normal in all elections and we've never had a perfect election and we never will. There's humans involved and there are a few that make errors, some of them deliberately, most of the time, it's done in error. Yes,
2: there is error in most aspects of human endeavor. If you have fundamentally a system which is so important to how the country is going to be governed for the next four years, or who your congressman is going to be for the next two years, we do want this to be perfect, don't we? If we take it from that point of view, you can maybe understand people questioning the whole process of voting saying, no, we shouldn't accept near perfection. It has to be perfect.
4: This is one of the biggest challenges I think election officials have been facing now for at least 20 years, and that is an expectation of perfection without the resources to get there. We spend so much money on medical processes, for example, and we expect there should be perfection there, and there still is not. At some level, however much you try, you're never going to be able to get perfection. There are so many people with the right desire to do the right thing, but occasionally they make mistakes. We have to recognize that. And the system has to have some things in place to try and address that. One of the things about election results is that not only is there a count and a precinct on election day, but then all those results are brought back. And there's another process to go through them again and sort of make sure that numbers add up, that it makes sense. There is a transparency to process that allows people that may have voted in the precinct and feel like something is incorrect to say, I think there was an error there. Sometimes there are errors that can be caught because somebody is aware something doesn't make sense. Then after that, at the state level, there's a process for going back and sort of going through again. I will tell you the four years I was at the State Board of Elections, we never had an election where what we got from the locals turned out to be 100% accurate. And then there's a whole process for a recount or a contest. Generally speaking, people agree once you've gone through all of those choices and opportunities for trying to fix things and you can't prove that your view is correct, at that point, people need to give up and figure that they will come back again for the next election. but. We had a situation in Virginia one time where somebody ran for office locally. That's when they know their voters and they know exactly how things are likely to occur. And his own precinct, the numbers didn't really match what he expected to get. And we went back. It was after the election was over, the whole process had finished. But we were able to pull out the votes from that precinct. And we had about 50 people in a courtroom looking at this as we went through. And somehow, tired election officials on election night had not added up the votes for him correctly. Nobody had a clue how it happened or that it had happened until we opened up the ballots. It restored his faith in the system, but it was too late at that point to really affect the outcome of the election at that point.
2: What were your other takeaways from the article? I got a real sense from the author that because various people who deny the, the fundamental integrity of the American electoral system were not voted in throughout the United States, that this was a victory for voting rights advocates. Give us two or three hot takes from Cameron Quinn.
4: One of the things that I picked up in that article that I thought was incredibly concerning is the suggestion that one in five election officials are likely to leave before the 2024 elections. It's a lot of experience to be losing. Um, Election officials' average age is still well over 60, and there's not enough effort being gone in recruiting additional election workers. A second takeaway, every election has disinformation and misinformation. But if you look at U.S. history, there are attacks on candidates that were untrue that go back to the early 1800s. And we have a complicated history of lack of accessibility for certain voters at different times and a history of fraud in elections over time. But I took heart in the comment from the woman from State Voices that the elections officials this time were very quick to try and address incidences of misinformation or voter intimidation. People I know involved in elections generally want to improve the process. I will say I was a bit troubled by the effort to discredit those with views that there were problems in the 2020 election. By suggesting that it wasn't fair and honest in itself. sort of then assumed something further. There was a comment, we have to assume that the new secretaries of state, meaning those that she considered election deniers, quote, will use those offices to sow seeds of doubt. In my experience, folks who felt the process didn't work properly and have run for an office like Secretary of State are running to work to improve the process. People don't bother generally to run in elections to try and Tear down an office they're running for. They're running because they want to improve things and they don't feel necessarily it's been improved to the point that it can. I think voters' concerns, whether about errors or perceived errors in an election, or about whether something made it harder or was perceived to make it harder for a voter to vote, must both be recognized as potentials to reduce confidence in elections and both must be addressed if we want to preserve democracy. I found it fascinating that there was this suggestion now that some of these people were getting into office in order to handpick winners in future elections, which in my view is not only a political statement trying to affect society's perception of these new office holders, but completely ignores many election administration safeguards in place in the United States. There are relatively few ways one person, even if that person is at the top of the elections administration pyramid, can influence, much less ensure that their preferred candidates win. There's so many other factors that go into elections, and it's just almost impossible. But because there are things that could make it possible, it's important we keep trying to improve the system. you got another one. I always have another one. (laughs) One of the things that I think is really important is there must be room for disagreement and debate. That's one of the virtues of democracy, and we mean to make it easier for people to hold different views without demonizing them. One of the things I found rather fascinating was the suggestion that those people in Congress who voted not to certify the elections were all of a sudden problems and trying to frustrate democracy, and yet this is something that has occurred every presidential election for at least the last 30 or 40 years. But but Uh, Cameron,
2: your your point, I think this is really fascinating. So, you know, and I always say at the start of this podcast, I'm an American in training because I'm I'm British. I'm I'm trying to learn American civics and and mores and, and how things are done. And in the UK, we have a completely independent body, which is kind of fundamentally seen as beyond reproach that looks after our elections. And. There isn't poll observers from the Labour Party or the Conservative Party or the Lib Dems. But what seems to mark America out isn't that people can discuss and debate the process or maybe even the results. It is the rancor. Surely that's the difference between, let's say, 40 years ago and now. If I go back to the election of 1960, Nixon probably got more votes than Kennedy. I'm not saying it was right, but he stepped aside for the good of the republic. We had the hanging chads in 2000, where, yes, it went to court. But then after that, there wasn't really the vitriol, the distrust of the other side then post that vote. So that seems to me a fundamental difference between the America of then and now.
4: But understand that in the 2000 election, 16 members of Congress voted not to certify Bush. It's just a difference in the number. It's not a difference in what people did. And at the time of the 2004 election, when a couple of senators voted against confirming Bush for the second time, Senator Van Hollen, for example, said, it's wonderful that we have people willing to do this valuable public service of bringing this debate about problems in elections before the Congress. As Americans, we should all be troubled by reports of voting problems in many parts of the country. And yet there's this assumption that the people who voted against certification this time somehow were crossing a line. It's important to recognize that when people have concerns about accessibility, intimidation, or errors in the system, that we all should agree that it's important to go back and try and address them, even if we can't address a particular election, trying to make sure that going forward, the system gets improved. I felt like the suggestion that just because somebody denied an election, that they were going to then try and abuse the process to steal elections to get a result they preferred when they got elected, it was just over the top. But that's one of the things that somebody in the article suggested. Hmm. We have to stop using this broad brush to attack the views of people with whom we disagree. And while it's challenging to get people to work through differing political points of view and come to agreement, it's really critical to do so. And there's way too much assuming that if a person believes X, that also means they believe Y and Z. Sometimes it feels like there's a coordinated attempt to discredit views in this country now. And, and all that does is make people dig in their heels and sort of hold that view more strongly because somebody's trying to tell them that they are wrong we've just got to find a way to come back together. And I I thought Tammy Patrick and Pamela Smith's comments were so on point. New office holders responsible for elections, if they don't already know it, are going to find it's not an easy job. It's complicated. It has unforgiving deadlines. And while it's normal to be skeptical folks on the other side of the political divide, in my view, it's important to assume good motives. (laughs) And there's extensive examples over time in all parts of life that show that People typically are going to live up to or down to the expectations of those with whom they
1: engage. Tonight, with votes still being counted in Arizona, some voters here are angry and suspicious that the results aren't in.
4: I don't know why every other state, except a handful, can count everything by now except Arizona.
1: Kerry Lake, the Republican candidate for governor, is now spreading vague conspiracy theories, accusing election officials of trying to slow roll the vote counting, but offering no proof. Overnight, those officials fought back. Quite frankly, it is offensive to say that these people behind me are slow rolling this when they're working 14 to 18 hours. Overnight, a drop of just over 78,000 new votes from Maricopa County pushed Democrats statewide ahead. Still tens of thousands of votes left to count.
0: As this ballot counting stretches into the weekend, election officials are really urging patience here.
1: They are what people remember what happened here two years ago when some vote counting centers were surrounded by mobs. This year seems different so far. People may be frustrated and angry, but they're keeping calm. From CNN, the votes have been cast Now comes the race to finish counting and the potential legal fights by Jeremy Herb and Tierney Sneed. Election workers are tabulating ballots in key states that will determine the balance of power in Congress, as well as more than 3 dozen state houses. Because of differing laws, some states have tallied nearly all their ballots, while others may not finish for several days.
2: To help us unpack this piece, we speak to Dana DeBrava from Oset, who is the ex-Travis County Clerk. She served from 1987 to January 2022. It comes as no surprise to me that Arizona Somewhat six days after uh, the votes were cast, are still counting. Not all districts have been called. Why does that come as no surprise to me, or let dare I say it, the great American public?
3: And it doesn't come as a surprise to me either. In fact, Texas is still counting. There's federal law that requires us to keep counting. And then I think most voters don't realize that when you count by mail ballots, You have to replicate the exact same steps that happen in a polling place. And I'll bet you that nobody's ever talked or walked them through that process. But, you know, when you walk inside a polling place, the the first thing they're going to ask you for is your identification to check to see if you're a registered voter. And then the other thing that they're going to do is they're going to ask you to sign in on a sign-up sheet, a roster with your signature, and give the address that you're voting from. Well, both of those steps occur in vote by mail. They just happen a little bit differently, but it's the exact same procedure. And I'll bet some people who have been suspicious or worried about counting vote by mail had no idea. So let me explain to you why there is a little bit of a delay in counting ballot by mail. Several states, including Texas, deliberately passed a law that said you cannot do any of the processing to get by mail ballots prepared to be tallied in advance of the close of polls on Election Day, which is the way it had been in many states for the last 20 years. And it was a very smart move to do that. There was no good reason to stop processing. Other than what happens is the delay and the void. No work gets done. Therefore, no votes get sent out to the public to be distributed. And in that void, you have the opportunity for manufactured chaos. So let's just imagine this. You've had trays upon trays of ballots by mail come in from the post office and they've been sitting around your office gathering dust for a whole week because you've not been able to do any of the things that we just talked about, getting them prepared to be tallied. You have had to just wait until the polls close. So now suddenly the polls close and if somebody says to you, here, here's 100,000 by mail ballots, you're going to start by making a list of every single name and address of every single one of those ballots, 100,000 people and 100,000 addresses. And when you get finished making that list, then you're going to go through and you're going to verify the signatures and the registration of those voters to make sure that they're in fact completely legitimately registered voters. Then and only then can you begin the process of opening the ballots, which are double-layer voted, and opening up and, and beginning to flatten them out so that they can be run through scanners. Now, I bet nobody ever told you any of that.
2: <laughs> no, no, You know what, Dana? They haven't. However, so is there something endemic in the way that Arizona counts mail-in ballots, which leads to this delay? And that's before we talk about the problem with the tabulation machines.
3: No, there is nothing s- special or endemic to the way Arizona does. It's about by-, by mail ballots than any of the other states all states have to plow through this tedious process of all the documentation that ha- has to happen with by mail voting
2: all right now election deniers in arizona that the problems with the tabulation machines and the delay is down to some level of of incompetence and of at least threatened to file lawsuits. What exactly happened with these tabulation machines? There was a problem at some 60 vote centers, according to the article.
3: Yes, well, let's be clear about what the problem was, though, because it's not the tabulators. In your own home, what's the first thing that goes wrong at your house? It's the printer. And it's the same story with this one it was a printing mistake. So that's hardly fraudulent. That's an unfortunate error. And here's what happened. The print when these ballots came out of the ballot on demand printer, which is what Arizona and many states use, didn't print heavy enough for the scanner to clearly read the ballot. Some of the ballots got through okay, but then later on it just really began to break down and the the scanners could not read the density of the ink. So at that point, then Arizona switched over to a very normal, ordinary procedure for what's called emergency ballots. If they had had a, an outage, a outage in the polling place, they would have done the exact same procedure. So what they did was they said, okay, everybody keep voting. You print out your ballot. You mark your ballot just like you always do. You make sure it's correct. And then you put it in the bottom ballot box, ballot box number three. The one on the bow ball- on the bottom is the ballot box you use when you've lost electricity at the polling place. Ballot box number three stays locked the entire time and it gets brought in with the rest of the ballots on election night and goes into the counting station to be counted by the scanners just like all the rest of the ballots. So people who are saying, oh, ballot box number three, those ballots get shredded or those don't get counted right or those get, don't get, you know, counted the same way as regular ballots or they get hand tallied. That's not correct, is it? That's all wrong from somebody who didn't know the process. So now that we know they're all handled the exactly the same way, what happened was, was that to the extent that the officials in Arizona were able to correct the print density so that they could move right along with the scanners in their polling places during the day, they solved that problem. But they had in that interim a stack of ballots in several polling places that mounted up and they're going to have to bring all of those back to the counting station and either remake those ballots so that it's a a thicker, denser print. So the scanners will read them or, in other words, just try to get the paper print to read through the scanner and they will be run through the exact same scanners as every other ballot.
2: You have done a wonderful explanation of the issue with not the tabulation machines, but with the printers. Last question. The election was last Tuesday. We're recording this on Monday with your hat as being an election administration official of some repute. How do you think America did with the counting of ballots in the midterms?
3: Didn't we do a fantastic job and I, I, and I have to say that some of the hype surrounding the threats of badly behaving poll watchers and, and other people acting out at polling places and counting stations was successful at threatening some people. So we, we can't say it was entirely free of all, you know, bad behavior. But for the most part, voters ignored all the hype and all the threats. And they just said, look, we're not going to we're not going to listen to it. We're not going to put up with it. And elections administrators did a fabulous job of anticipating where they were going to run into those potential threats and obstacles, anticipated it, and were set up in place ready to deflect any of the misinformation or be ready to explain to voters exactly what was going on. I think they did a remarkable job that paired right there with the remarkable job they did for the presidential election in the middle of a pandemic. They handled an election that was being threatened at its very core, and they stood up and they took on the challenge, and I am incredibly proud of the way we conduct democracy and elections in the United States. Now's the time to hug an elections administrator.
2: There you go, dear listener. You have your call to action. Go and hug an election administrator. So there you go. We're still digesting all of the data from the 2020 midterms. To get a message to the OSEP team via SpeakPipe, go to trustthevote.org forward slash podcast where you can record your question and we will put it on a future episode and answer it. And don't forget, good people, Citizens of America, we need your reviews. Please go to Apple Podcasts and post us a review. The more reviews we get, it widens our scope of informing Americans about American democracy and elections. I'd like to thank Dana Debovar, Jenya Coulter and Cameron Quinn for joining us on this episode. And of course, Frame Masters for reading out our headlines. And again, if you found a news story that you would like us to comment on, you can email me at... Royfield at osetinstitute.org Please keep listening and spread the word about us and the Trust the Vote project and of course spread the good news about democracy. You can go to trustthevote.org forward slash podcast or you can follow us on Twitter at Trust the Vote or at Dead Men Don't Vote. Dead Men Don't Vote is supported by the team at the Trust the Vote project. The Trust the Vote project is an initiative of the OSET Institute Inc, a tax-exempt 501c3 nonprofit California Public Benefit Corporation.